0: Welcome to Pastor Interference. I'm Alex. I'm Kevin. And this is episode four, Providence and Pistons. And in God's providence today, we will be talking about these two uh, topics. And so uh, we're going to get started here and look at our statement of faith, the Christ Community Church Statement of Faith on our website. If you're watching or listening to this and you are not a member of our church, you can go to our website, mychristcom.org. Find out all about us. Our statement of faith is on the website. And so you could pull that up uh, if you want to read along with us. And so, uh, Kev, why don't you go ahead and read Article 4 on Providence?
1: Okay. Article 4 Providence. God from eternity decrees or permits all things that come to pass and perpetually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures in all events. Yet, so as not to destroy the free will and responsibility of intelligent
0: creatures. Well, that's good. That's there's a lot there, and so we're gonna mouthful. Yeah, no question. Helpful. Good. Good. Solid thought to help us uh, as Christians to think in line with uh, brothers and sisters for the last two thousand years about the Bible. So let's move in kind of three phases. First, as we think about providence, we think about that God from eternity. Decrees or permits all things that come to pass. Mm. Every word of that fragment is important for how we understand God's providence. and even as we think about Providence, we're talking about God's supernatural governance of his creation, um, even through the, cre- the the what we would call natural laws, laws of gravity, and these kinds of things that God established. He is ruling his creation actively. So unlike, I want to give a little historical context, then you can kind of walk us through that first, the beginning of the sentence. There have been people in history who have believed what we call deism, right? Basically that God created everything, but then he took a step back and he is not involved. God is a a clockmaker who set the clock and is letting its work work on its own very anti-supernatural position no miracles that kind of thing that is not what the bible teaches us about god right and his right. providence
1: I, I think the closest thing uh that comes to that now in terms of the the flavor of churches that would be in our flavor um would be open theism
0: mm. yeah
1: where through what you just stated, that God is literally for the end waiting of one of I think I've heard six scenarios that man may choose to do, and mm. even God Himself in open theism doesn't know what's going to happen yet. Yeah, that's that's a that's a, a certainly poor and and wrong view of God. It's error. But that's the most extreme form over against what I would say, where you just mentioned God from eternity decrees or permits all things that come to pass. And, and I think, Alex, we, we start talking about this first point. If God didn't do this, then he wouldn't be God, yeah. would he? I mean, yeah. how, how could God be God if he wa- didn't exist from all eternity And from eternity, his decrees and permits all things that come to pass. Because he is, God is the only one that we've talked about before, who is other. Right. He's creator, we are creation, and everything else is creation. And so, of course, he is the one who's from eternity. He is the one who decrees everything that's going to be, uh, done and permits all things that come to pass. I mean, you can't even read, say, you know, what part of Revelation is futuristic, and not come to this conclusion. Yeah, it's a, it's a, to me it's, it would be impossible. Right. Um. What else about that would you want to? kick in in terms of his decrees and what he permits all things that come to Well pass.
0: I think of um you know this we sing the song in church in Christ alone and I love the line in that song where he says where where the authors we sing um no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me then we sing from life's first cry till final breath Jesus commands my destiny. Mm. And we believe that not only for mm. Christians, but for for everyone in the world that Jesus right. is commanding the destiny. Like you said, you read the, even to revelation 21 and 22, history has a goal. History is not chaotic or random right. history is the word we use is teleological. It has a telos. It has an end. It has a goal. And if God's not actively moving us mm. there,
1: then he's not God.
0: He's not God. He's not God. And it's amazing how so many Christians can be crippled with, um, you know, fear, uh, e- even if they would affirm what we're saying about providence, they're so worrisome about COVID or about uh, the economy mm-hmm. or about anything that's going on. Not that there should be rightful concern, but people are crippled, uh, when we Act like like pragmatic open theists, even if we would deny it on paper.
1: Right, Um, right. You know why why do some Christians hate providence? mm. You know why is it that this is so offensive to them? What what do you think it is? I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm just throwing that out there. Right. But you know, I could. Give you a couple of my own thoughts, even as to uh,
0: absolutely, you know,
1: because we we'll always get into these conversations. For for some people, when they hear uh, that that God's providence, God elects, God predestines and choosing, you know, their gander gets up. Where's my Where's my free will? Yeah, and and I think part of it, things that you have shared, I know even in teaching on it in in the Bible classes, um that it, it, it so grades against uh, American individualism right? over against perhaps other cultures, even where the Bible was written, where they, they uh, recognized a king, right? Someone who ruled over them in kinds of things. But certainly I, I would say as pastors, we bump in to where this providence as it extends out, as it pertains to God, it can be very offensive.
0: No question. People are
1: offended the fact that, that God decrees or permits all things to come to pass.
0: And we do obviously believe it's important, as did the the writers of the of Principles, to make a whole article in the Statement of Faith about mm-hmm. it. A lot of churches or groups of Christians wouldn't do that, no. like you said, because they're so offended. No. And man, I think you're exactly right, that that rugged American individualism that uh, I picked myself up by my bootstraps, I'm a self-made whatever. And really that's not just American. Of course it goes back to the very beginning when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he was tempting them to, to be God, right. To, to make, to be their own authority to make their own rules about what can be eaten and what can't be eaten. And so that, inherent uh idolatry or that 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 power that we want is inside of us you know calvin said our hearts are idol factories and so we're building these idols and uh and um that that, that what's interesting like you said because for traditional cultures eastern cultures honor-based cultures this article the beginning of this article is not offensive What's offensive to them, and we'll talk about in a minute, is the free will and responsibility because because they don't honor cultures, you know, Eastern, India, Asia, traditionally, don't have a lot of emphasis on individuality. Their emphasis is on family, tradition, Mm -hmm. community, honor. And so for them to understand, listen, there are things out of your control, that doesn't offend them. What offends them is there are things that are your responsibility individually and so the gospel is going to offend every um, man-made intellectual system sure for for but but you're right for for america for 2020 the providence the decrees the election is incredibly offensive Mm -hmm. to what people want to view themselves for sure
1: I, i think as we get into the second part of this where uh, the article reads, this directs and governs all creatures and all events. There's there's one aspect of this that I think of. Okay, just to give it a biblical example, I think of um, um, John 4 and the Samaritan woman. Mm. And I don't know exactly how it reads in the ESV. I think it's in the King James. She i think it says jesus must needs go through samaria yeah okay what is that that is the ordering of the providence of bringing her to christ and just just with this second section directs and governs all creatures and all events how many times have you talked with somebody who comes uh is converted to christ and they begin to God, and I think God brings to memory events, providential events, that were leading them, yeah, and pointing them ultimately to Jesus. Yeah, they're not vague. Uh, they didn't get uh, saved at that point. They're saved by the gospel. They're right. saved by God. But there were ordering of providential events that bring them to Jesus, and I, I honestly think that's true for every believer. Yeah. Um, some just happen to be connected a little bit more to, to what takes place in that. And the biblical example is, as, as that second section would pertain to salvation, I think of the Samaritan woman Yeah. that Jesus parks it there. And again, how does it, how does it say it? And, uh, I'll pull it up up right now. I think it's John four, uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Yeah. How does it read there?
0: Um, Verse 3 says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass had through to pass. Samaria. Yeah,
1: yeah, because in the providence of her life, uh, Jesus was to go there, and she was to become converted, and a great many after her.
0: Yeah. Man, I think when you were just talking about John 4, two things popped into my head. Number one, I think of the book of Ruth because providence mm. is a big theme in the book of Ruth. And over and over again in the book of Ruth, it's, it uses this phrase, and it happened. Or like even in the old King James kind of language, it came to pass. Mm. It happened. And so, you know, you talk about God having a, a personality and the Holy Spirit having the personality. When, when the Spirit writes that, a phrase like that in the Bible, he's saying it a big. Tongue in cheek, he wants you to see it's not just happening, and it happened means God's orchestrating it. He's putting it together, and what appears to be coincidence—people love that coincidence or karma or the universe is looking out for you and all this stuff. Sure, they're just—we believe that, but God's doing it. Yeah, everything its all intentional. Yeah, And, um,
1: and and you you get that like phrases, you know, even coming out. Oh wow. Thank my lucky stars Mm -hmm. or, or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, these kinds of, of, of language when really, you know, those who fail to see it, God orders things in providence and there aren't any mistakes being made. I think, I think it it really strongly is, puts an onus on us to kind of identify through his providence, what God is doing. Right. And certainly we, we want to use good discernment in that Yeah. to not get, you know, thrown off the way, because if anything, what I think this does for us is to brings a great deal of security again, Yeah, that God is the one who governs all creatures and all events Yeah, and, uh, you know, COVID, whatever else, like whatever else has gone on, whatever the church has experienced throughout her history. Right has been ordered under the care of someone who is greater. And and that comes from us, our sovereign God, who creates providence.
0: It made me think of when, uh, when you preach through Hebrews 1, verse 3, it's, He, this is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That word in Greek literally means Jesus has it on his back, that he's carrying um, the universe by the word of his power. And so everything you just said about comfort and about resting in God's sovereign providence, uh, I just... Derives from this truth. No question.
1: Okay, the, the last part here, which is important as all of it is, and it helps us maybe to make some more practical discussion in terms, again, we kind of mentioned how it comes to people. Why are people so offended over words that pertain to God, like decree and, and uh, nation and right. foreknowledge right. and predestination and all these kinds of things? It says, yet so not as to destroy the free will and responsibility of intelligent creatures. Let, let's talk about that now alex i will let you begin with what some of the things that y- you think about and I'll share some of mine and we'll just kind of
0: okay clean on this. so the first thing that comes to my mind as we consider these two together because obviously the the Bible presents divine sovereignty and human responsibility as two sides of one coin mm-hmm. in a in a mysterious way and just because we're reformed doesn't mean we need to be adverse to things being mysterious because like you said, we're dealing with God. We're dealing with the creator. We are all creatures. Everything but him is creature. He is creator. And so I think of Deuteronomy 29 that says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that he has revealed, he has they're given for us and for our children forever. And so God has revealed through his word, both most importantly, in salvation, but also in everything else the the, the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility uh, both are true in a mysterious working way. We want to affirm both uh, we want to we want to rest in the sovereignty, right. but we also want to uh, be faithful in the responsibility for
1: sure, for sure, and uh, I, one of the things that I think of here we. Peter's preaching Acts chapter 2, that he begins to talk about the foreordained plan of God that Jesus would be crucified, right? and he, yet that event, which was the plan of God for salvation for all eternity, right. was ordered through the events of wicked men, both Jewish and Roman, that wanted Jesus dead. Right. Right. And that they were exercising the liberty of what they desired, the liberty of their will, to see to it that Jesus would die. Yet those events were ordered to come to pass by our triune God. Right. It's, uh, again, I I agree with you, even to try to discuss it. It's beyond us, but I think that the picture paints this clear, this truth on providence and i wholeheartedly believe it and it, it's very securing yeah you know you, you know we're not going to go through our days uh, of any day where okay you know there's luck or chance right um we're, our lives are being ordered the king who compassionately loves and cares for us and orders events you know there's a lot of verses that comes you know come to mind you know when when you when you're out there and, and you're you're thinking about okay I'm, uh, you're Career path, you're thinking about a job, you're thinking about whatever. You know, the Bible says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. That's securing. Yeah. That and and I think what it's it's securing and it's freeing for a believer that, that we can move with confidence. It doesn't matter that events perceivably are ordered against this. If this becomes the will of God through providence, we march forward. We go through those doors and we go through them. We want to, with great confidence, trusting in God, not ourselves. Right. Um, So to destroy, you know, and I think we wrestle with this some. So yet, so as not to destroy the free will and the responsibility of intelligent creatures. I like what you just said about this alex there is there is a mystery to how god works in salvation there's a mystery to us but yet you know as i was recently just talking to a young woman that was converted to where she was 6 months ago to hear mm-hmm. the words of god and i could see at that point either if there wasn't doubting maybe perhaps even some rejection through over time the word of god converting her heart and even revealing to her what changed your mind? Well, God's word did. He ordered the events and certainly the gospel message, which, uh, you know, then, of course, you know, God saved her that we'll get into kind of next week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Next topic. Yeah. And, and there's a lot more discussion on this. It's just, it's even listening to you talk about her makes me think of how God is glorified in what he did is sovereignly turn her will, sovereignly change her heart. Not so that she just is following him now with glassed over eyes, you know, as a robot at the straw man that's charged at this kind of reformed doctrine, but now she genuinely wants him and he's glorified in that he worked so that now her greatest desire is Christ and so that's how those two fit together yeah it's beautiful and that's
1: true for all of us yeah it's true for every believer that's nurtured in it And we certainly i thank god for his providence yeah amen works
0: okay well we're going to transition now from the high court of heaven where god (laughs) made his eternal degrees to the hardwood court to that the the floor where, uh, where we're going to talk about our Detroit Pistons. Yes. And here, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, because some of this conversation is, uh, is, is a little before my time, but but Pastor Kevin has uh, a wealth of experience. And so here's what i kind of want to structure this, we're going to start, we'll start, uh, we'll start BT. Okay, so we'll go before Thomas, anything you want to say yeah. before the drafting of Isaiah Thomas, and then obviously, we'll move to the bad boys and the going to work guys and share memories sure. and all that kind of stuff. But, but kind of fill us in, Kev, what are your memories? Uh, what, 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 what thoughts do you have about the before the pre-Isaiah Thomas okay. Pistons?
1: All right, so most of you or some of you may not know this. Um, the Pistons didn't originate in Detroit. They originated from Fort Wayne. Mm. Now, I didn't watch them then, and I don't even know what the years were the time that I came into following the Pistons were, was really mostly in high school. Okay. And my original group. So the seventies, the seventies were, the center was Bob Lanier, the big lefty playing. I had a lefty hook and Dave Bing who became a prominent businessman in, in Detroit and mayor. Mm. Um, um, my dad did work with him cha-ching yeah I just name dropped <laughs> wow so a- anyway that was a fun group that, and it was a fun group that made the playoffs they played at cobalt hall and and for those of you that can remember back there there was a featured guy there was a there was a dude named Gus and Gus was always in the balcony at cobalt hall and that's all the seats that we could afford when we were in high school and he would lead cheers. And so he was like the wild fan of the Pistons. It was Gus. And uh, so, you know, but finally, as, as Alex, you mentioned, we stumbled into, I think it was about 81, 82, whatever it was in there, 81, because I think Isaiah won the national championship his sophomore year with Indiana in 81. The Pistons drafted him in June of that year. And I never will never forget it because I rooted for Indiana to beat North Carolina because North Carolina was favored. And 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 the Isaiah-led Thomas, Indiana Hugers knocked them off in the national championship game. He decides he's gonna come out. And when we drafted him, and we were already had formulated, we had a fun team. We had a team that was scoring a lot of points and continued to score a lot of points early when Isaiah got here. But something greater was happening because he would get us in the playoffs. Yeah, and he would do some remarkable things. And then, so, so he was the cornerstone player of what was formulated in the original Bad Boys. That the Going to Work Bad Boys certainly were the same type of team. Yeah, they are so much mirrored image. But, but Isaiah, and you know, you of course when we were dealing with the goat with Michael, you've heard what I said before. Isaiah, there was nothing he couldn't do on the basketball floor, offensively or defensively. He's the most underrated NBA player of my lifetime. And I'm not saying that just as a Detroiter. I mean, they won two, nat- two national titles, two world's, two worlds championships, right. and could have easily been four. He played in a great era. Who, and all that team began to develop around him. Isaiah, we get Lambeard, James Edwards. Uh, Joe Dumars um, all these players begin to come in yeah and and you know we went back to back went to five NBA Eastern Conference finals
0: yeah so um, so I was one and two when the bad boys won their championships. Brief. so yeah so I remember being very li- my earliest memories are people talking about the bad boys, rapping the bad boys, but it was, it was done by the time I'm formulating memories. So, mm. But to kind of – because we don't uh, have all day, obviously, to right. talk about it, I want you to, to chat me up about um, the pass against the Celtics, oh. your memories. I want you to, 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 to talk about the finals we lost against the Lakers mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, your memories of the Bulls, just that whole era okay. of how we got yeah. – to the championships. Wow,
1: that's a painful one. The first one, Val and I were living in a townhouse, did not have any kids. Um and when Isaiah threw the ball away, Val was not in the house. So I forget where she was gone to, but she was in the process of coming home. I literally almost threw the television through my front <laughs> picture window <laughs> because they were beat. We had them beat. Probably for the first time in my life, I thought the NBA might be rigged. <laughs> Just the way we folded in that game. Mm. I was It was devastating. And then, um, now what, what What was the next part?
0: Uh, the 88 finals against the – so, so oh, we yeah. come back the next year, make it to the finals. Yeah. We, we lost in the Eastern Conference finals, like you were saying to the Celtics. Yeah. The pass was part of that. We come back the next year, 88, that's the year I'm born. So I'm about a month old, and we're playing – the Lakers in the finals. Right.
1: There's there's two distinct things that I remember. Isaiah, I'm basically a broken ankle, scoring 25 in the fourth quarter in game six and finishing with 43. 25 and a quarter still might be the record. If it's not, it's close to mm. the NBA in a playoff game. And then, of course, game six, because they wanted the Lakers to get a three-peat, a phantom call on Bill Lambeer, probably the most hated basketball player in the history of the NBA, and he didn't foul. No Chet Beatty. He did not foul <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Jabbar hit two free throws. We had that game won. Mm. And uh, robbery, mm. robbery, that was devastating. And um, the last thing now –
0: Well, it's, so it's, so part of part of that from probably in 87 – you might remember it, 87, 88, 89 – is, is what's going on with the Bulls, okay? Yeah. And we touched on this some with Michael, but I want you to suss it out a little more. What are some distinct memories you have of the bad boys and yeah. the Bulls in the late 80s? The
1: best one was going to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals when the Bulls were really favored to beat us and had handled us pretty good in Chicago, but we had Game 7 on ours. And we had won kind of three close games, and we blew them out. Mm. and Scotty had a headache, and I remember staying in there after the game and listening to Len Elmore on CBS, and uh, who played in the NBA. He was a center in the NBA, and the other guy talking about Scotty Pippen's disappearance, and Jordan was dejected. I mean, it was Joysville in, in, in Detroit. Man, the, and the Palace. I mean, you know, all three of those championships were won in the Palace. Right. And that era, it was you know it was amazing. And then I'm going to be honest with you. In my opinion, we went into the dark days. Mm. The dark days are Grant Hill.
0: Yeah. And that. But but before we get there, real quick, uh, and and side note, we are recording this a couple of days after <laughs> the palace was oh. literally blown up, demolished. But before we get to the dark ages, anything else about? the championships against the Lakers or or Portland, right, was the second one? Portland. Any distinct memories you have from those well, two series?
1: Well, I went to the only loss against Portland, What a, and it was devastating. We lost game two. I was concerned, us going back to Portland for the middle three. Um, I didn't think they'd sweep us in Portland. I thought we would steal one. We ended up winning all three. Bill Lambeer had Duckworth. In his, he was so deep in his head. And Benny Johnson hits the game winner, winner uh, on game five. We won it on their floor. And what happened after game two was that Terry Porter left the, the court saying, now we're going to get them in our crib, meaning we're not coming back to Detroit. Well, they didn't come back to Detroit. But it wasn't because they beat <laughs> us. It was because – and that was a great Portland team. I mean, they had Clyde Drexler and some other very athletic uh, uh, players. But that Piston team was such a dominant and and cohesive group. Um, That was really a a fun era of basketball. And, of course, as as it ended, you know, uh, we we did get beat by the Bulls. We were aging. We had lost Mahorn through the changing rules and and, uh, expansion. But then when, when Isaiah was just 32, he tore his Achilles.
0: That's how old I am right now.
1: And he quit. He had he had gone through enough. He said I'd had enough. Yeah. So he didn't even try. And I'm not sure that we wouldn't have been able to make another run had you added a piece here and there. But they, you know they they were finished.
0: Yeah. Well, everything that goes up must come down. And so, like the transition from. Uh, the 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 golden age of David and Solomon and the bad boys. We transitioned to the rest of the Book of Kings, and for the Pistons, that would be the teal Ugh. horse era. And this is when I'm in elementary school, oh. and so I have a lot of memories of that because you know at our school at Lessinger, they used to give free tickets um, oh. to the Vipers. Nice. You know, and the Vipers played at the Palace, so we go to the Palace, and you'd see all the teal horse swag so i don't want to spend a ton of time on it because no. we got to get to the chauncey and ben days but what are what do, what do you want to say about those days so the I grant hate, hill I, hate the
1: teal. I can't stand the teal i don't want to think about the teal when when people bring up the pistons going back to the teal on twitter i always vehemently go after it we yeah. do not want the teal back here of course that was the era that uh We had Grant Hill, and I did love Grant Hill. Grant Hill wanted out of Detroit, and subsequent to that, one of the greatest trades and the players that would come following that of us trading and getting Ben Wallace, getting uh, Chauncey Billups, and then getting Rip Hamilton, it was glorious. We left the Teal, and we really went into the era Alex, that you enjoyed, yeah, and that you were you were getting older. You got into the pistol, right?
0: And so, one last question before we come into that about the teal, the rebranding. Yeah. In your opinion, why why did they rebrand? Do you think they were like they changed colors, they changed logo? The vipers
1: were teal, right?
0: I think they were like a teal and white. But do you think? Do you? Let me just ask you this because I don't know. Maybe this is documented. Did they want to say? we're not the bad boys anymore. What was the purpose of the rebrand? That
1: could have been, but teal was an expanding color across the board. Mm. Jacksonville Jaguars went to it. They Mm. still kind of have it. Uh, The teal never, never represented the Pistons. And I do think what you just said, they, they may have wanted to get away from the, you know, because uh, of the bad boys and the rule change, but it was awful. I mean, we had great colors. Red, white, and blue, and now it's all kind of come back. While the NBA's added things, you know, with like the black jerseys, which look cool. With the, the Pistons, it's the Motor City. You know, they're all they're they're all going to brand that a little bit, and I think the branding always changes, obviously, because it makes money. Right. You know, it makes money, but the Pistons, as the Celtics are green and white, and the Lakers are purple and gold, right? Should be red, white, and blue. We're well, yeah. one of the most historic basketball franchises in the history of the nba and it was proven because you know we go on and, and win again
0: we have three in, in rings in two separate eras in that second era like Five you NBA said,
1: appearances
0: right we uh from i believe it's from 2003 until 2007 and you can correct me if i'm wrong Someone, but I'm pretty sure at least for those five years, we were in the Eastern Conference finals, five straight years. That's right. And so in 2003, we lost to the Nets. Um, But then in 2004,
1: Jason Kidd.
0: Yeah, Jason. And they went on and lost to the Spurs. Mm. 2004, we are uh, we are in the finals against the Los Angeles Lakers who have already won three rings with Kobe and Shaq yeah. uh, and Phil Jackson and now they have Gary Payton, right? And Carl Malone. Carl Malone, they have Rick Fox. They yes. everybody thinks everybody. the Lakers we're are we well, we're gonna get destroyed. Chat me up about your memories, and I'll tell you some of mine of that 04 championship okay. run. Well
1: we were fortunate enough I had three other buddies at a quarter-season package, um, and so I got to see uh, some of that era. So, you know, quarter-season package, you'd get 10 games, and then we rotated through the playoffs. I didn't get a finals game then, but it went quick. That finals went quick because we handled um, the, the Lakers losing the first game. But, you know, that, that team, again, was a really – a lot of people say it was the best team – ever to win without a superstar but man they had some really good players yeah and and you know they had they had you know the pistons were built by backcourts all the way all the way back to dave bing and john mengelt mengelt used to be called crash crash mengelt then you get into the piston era with isaiah and you had isaiah dumars and benny johnson well this group had its own you know we get chauncey mm. who's mr big shot And Rip Hamilton, another unbelievable underrated champion type player. He won a championship at, you know, Connecticut at the national championship. And, um, you know, they had various third guards in there. Lindsey Hunter, who stayed. And all his kids went to Southfield Christian School, won state titles there. Um, That was a wonderful era. And I will say this. there's There's two keys to that. Joe, to his credit. As bad as it hurts that he drafted Darko, he did trade to get Rasheed Wallace, and that put us over a hump because Rasheed was extremely talented and very difficult to control, but he kind of blended in, even though personally I think he cost us the Spurs title because of his moods. And then the other guy was the Kentucky guy, Tayshaun Prince who was 6'9", had the arms of like a seven two seven three guy, and he was like an X factor, both offensively and defensively. Had a very awkward shot, but he could score, and he was a good defender. And uh, so that team, they really, I'm telling you, they, both those groups, those eras mirrored each other in style and toughness and how they were built. And I think they had a great coach. You know, the, the former Pistons had Truck. Chuck Daly, we had Larry Brown and the, the, the current the more current ones. And Larry Brown was an unusual individual, but he was very gifted. And never he never he's never stayed anywhere long, but he stayed right. with us and got us through some titles. And I think he really helped formulate it and mesh that uh eclectic group of personalities. Yeah. Because they were unique.
0: Well, let me tell you this. What when it comes to Hockey. I'm kind of an agnostic. I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. I wouldn't say I don't believe in it. I just don't know. Uh, sorry, Mike. We'll Ooh. talk about hockey a different day. But so, not counting hockey because I'm not really into it. The 04 Pistons are the only Detroit championship that I've experienced. Uh, I was alive for the bad boys, but now, I, I don't remember. How old
1: were you at 04?
0: I was. Um, I was. Uh, 16
1: okay I was in high school it was yeah I was
0: into it I was into it Um, a lot I've I've never watched as much basketball as I did I mean I would watch them every night every night they played rightfully so watching into the playoffs and I mean I'll I'll still watch the playoffs with with uh regularity but I mean I watched those Pistons every time they were on into it it with friends Chauncey's my all-time favorite Mm -hmm. Piston and so we talked about the Tigers before and and they haven't won a championship uh, in my lifetime, and uh, we know the Lions haven't. Right. And so the that 4 Pistons is like my Detroit pro sports apex. Luckily, like uh, being a Tom Brady fan, I have experienced some championships, championships. as a fan. But so that so that '04 Pistons team, man, they're special. Uh, to me, I was I was right in that mid-high school hype yeah. going to games. I remember my parents bringing us to a Martin Luther King day mm. game uh, against the Spurs. It yeah. was either in 04 or 05. It was uh, uh, Bethany and I went to uh, the, the year the Celtics won the championship. So 08, we went and saw the Pistons play the Celtics that year, which that was right before we broke up because when when, uh, when when they sent Chauncey away, yeah. that's when it was effectively over. And Chauncey was still on the team the at that point. Heart was broken. My heart, my heart was broken. And Chauncey then goes to the Western Conference Finals the next year's with mellow in the Nuggets. Yeah. loses to uh, the Lakers. So I was in Louisville rooting yeah. for the Nuggets at that point. But um, yeah, that Pistons era, man. Like uh, it's it's not the, the Bad Boys is the apex because yeah. we won two, we went to a third and lost. Uh, probably should have gone the time when we lost to the Celtics, but that going to work team. I mean, that how many how many franchises get greatness in two eras like so that? Like you it, said, it's, it's unique. What,
1: what will it take to get back? Because I, I don't I would not consider Detroit a small market, but through the LeBron era, players now formulate. Mm-hmm. It always kind of was. I'd say the Celtics did it before us with Garnett. Pierce was already there. And then, and then Ray Allen. Right. So there, there is, and, and, and Detroit is not going to be their destination because of weather, mm-hmm. but it won't be because of history. What it's going to take is we got to draft a superstar and then the potential of getting other great players to play with them will come. And I do think it's possible. We're going to get a great pick this year. We don't know yet. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to have at least a top five pick in this depth, this draft, I believe goes really good players five deep. I'm talking about franchise changing players. I don't know who they're going to go after. I've not paid enough attention to it, but you know, there's hope. There's a little bit of hope there. Um, I think. And uh, of course, you know, we'll see how, how things go. we got to wait till the draft. The Pistons are not a part of, and hopefully they're going to, you know, It'll be a couple of years before we can, you know, get really into. But it's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to keep watching, right? When they're not competing, yeah. Well, maybe and they haven't.
0: Maybe well. we'll do an episode at some point about drafts, Detroit drafts, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I guess this probably would go without but saying. There'll
1: be enough suffering because the drafts, really for the most part, is suffering. And by the time we go through the Lions, that's yeah. going to be
0: like yeah i think this goes without saying but i, I just have order. i want you to just confirm because you lived through all this isaiah is the greatest piston draft of all time right no unquestionable gosh. darko's the, wor- the worst of all time no question oh
1: gosh yeah i mean so Absolutely. we've we've
0: been to the highest mountain and to the lowest yeah. valley you
1: know here's the deal if, if we draft wade bosch or Mello. The Pistons are good another 15 years. No no telling how many more titles that one group would have won. Yeah. Because all those guys were still, they had a few years left. But Darko to this area became (laughs) Darko and uh, never materialized. And Joe's, it's unfortunate because Joe had a great history here, you know, and then he did what, many Detroiters think was the unforgivable and pardonable sin of trading Chauncey. Yeah. He had a bad ending here. Yeah. His life did not, his, his life career. And matter of fact, you haven't even heard much about Joe since he left here. I hate that for him because he was a consummate pro and a very cool dude, great basketball player. uh, But such as sports. Yeah you know, such a sport.
0: Only the good die young. Yeah. And everyone else, man. It's just, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to end. It's hard to end well. So, so I'm
1: thinking when we do Red Wings, we got to do regeneration that week. Regeneration Red Wings. Yeah.
0: So write it on your schedule, Mike. We're coming for you we're, and you're going to you in here. Argue us into the camp, though. The Red Wings would be my least favorite of Detroit teams. I do have some memories because my grandpa loved hockey my grandpa loved the red he loved the tigers and the red wings and so i do have some memories so we're going to get one of our elders mike shampoo on here when we when we talk about regeneration and talk about the red wings then so anything else about the pistons you want to throw in there you know
1: i i think uh you know i long for them to get better and i think disco tom gore's has got to just kind of he needs to button his shirt up a little bit. This isn't the 70s. Yeah. That's the first thing I would say. And then I, I think you would should quit trying to snow the people. We've this is a knowledgeable fan base. We see garbage. Yeah. We know garbage. And um so you either need to get with it, yeah, or or sell the team. Yeah. And give it to an owner whose whose interest will bring us back to where we need to be because Detroit is a great sports town. Yeah. Not a good one. It's a great one. And it's a great basketball town. That's
0: what I was going to say. And you've, you've, you've had, you, and we'll even talk about this at some point because you coached basketball in and around the city. And so there, even with certain players through Michigan and Michigan state, the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan, uh, has a rich basketball history. Not only the Pistons stuff we just talked about, you think about Magic Johnson, mm. man, you think about um, Michigan state and Michigan. And so Detroit deserves Sorry, a good NBA say, yes. team. We will, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about all of that as time goes on. We're going to do it. Yeah. So yeah, well, uh, why is that?
1: Well, I just, I just saw a flag.
0: There's, there yeah. is a flag on the play indeed. <laughs> and the call is, pastor interference so until next time